Hey guys, welcome back to Keeping It Simple. This is Luis Sanchez. I'm here with my co-host. Hey, I'm Scott Callantine. Welcome to the episode. Let's get started. Hey Hugh, welcome to the podcast. Today we have Hugh Halter here with us. We've heard tons about Hugh from our friends Rob Wegner and Jeff Vanderstelt, who've also been on the podcast. Hugh, for those of us who know just a little bit about you, could you just share a little bit about yourself, a little bit about your story and what you're up to these days? Yeah, we, uh, we are from the Northwest, grew up in Portland, Oregon, and uh, planted our first church right downtown uh, back in the, oh, it would have been the 90s. And uh, it was kind of inner city, multi-ethnic type of church plant, probably a little bit more traditional model, uh, mm-hmm. but uh, beginning to dip our toe into neighborhood groups, houses, that type of thing. And then we moved to uh, Denver, Colorado in uh, 2002, and we started a, a church called Adullam, which was a network of missional communities throughout the Denver Metroplex. And back in those days, people thought that was weird or biblical or whatever it was. Uh, now it seems like it's right at the center of the cinnamon roll for a lot of people. But uh, yeah, back, back in those days, it was, uh, yeah, nobody got paid really. Uh, people thought that, that was weird, but it went really well. We had a blast in uh, 14 years of that. Um, 20 some communities around the Denver metro area and uh, ended up writing a book called The Tangible Kingdom about that story. Uh, ended up uh, us and a few other groups, uh, Soma out of Tacoma, Jeff and uh, a few of his mates and our group, which was called Missio, we were doing a lot of the, the early church plant training for anybody that wasn't taking an attractional model approach. And so since that book, we've been on the road, you know, you can almost say weekly somewhere in the world, uh, working with people that want to look at living as missionaries where we are now. And then, uh, as you know, the church uh, did not adopt that option readily. Um, and it seems like Every denomination in the country right now is on rapid decline in COVID and blah, blah, blah. So uh, I feel like the sort of the story we lived, it's maybe now coming of age. Um, we always felt like 20 years ahead. And uh, I wish it wasn't the case. I wish God just did revival, honestly. I wish we could just pray in rooms and people would beg us to tell them and we could do church services. But for whatever reason, God is not uh, saving us. <laughs> from this. Um, and so I think it's, it's time for the church to learn its incarnational missionary ways again. So we're, I'm excited to share our past story and even our present story. Uh, after we left the Denver deal, we, um, my son, Ryan, and by the way, kind of backstory of everything we've done was related to our son's epilepsy condition. Mm-hmm. So that's, I mean, the reason why we did missional communities out of homes was because we had a hard time leaving our house and, mm-hmm. So we just said, let's just, let's just meet our own neighborhood and street. And uh, so that became, you know, why we did that. Eventually uh, we found an assisted living center for Ryan out in this little town called Alton, Illinois, which is 20 minutes North of St. Louis. And uh, never thought we would move here, but we, uh, we put Ryan over here about eight years ago and just began to visit this town, a really struggling town, average family income somewhere in the, $22,000 range a year. So very, very poor. 
uh, very multi-ethnic and uh, yeah, a lot of a lot of struggles. So we ended up just moving here. And uh, out of that move, uh, an entirely new story happened that we're now calling Brave Cities, which is building out kingdom ecosystems in impoverished cities that uh, are a network of benevolent business enterprise, uh, missional communities, but also pure justice work. So uh, that's kind of what we're framing in the Brave City model is that um, you know, and that, and we'll get to it later, but that addresses a lot of the Bible Kobo issues, but also, mm. um, you know, engagement of the city, even city transformation issues. So we're in the middle of that. We uh, had a gentleman donate a very large building to us right in the downtown center, and we turned it into a, what we call the living room for Alton. And out of that, we've become a business incubator and um, God's just done cool stuff. So a church community has formed again. And it's quite a bit different even than the Denver story. So it's kind of, I get, I don't know if that helps. That's the backdrop. Kind of three different church plant environments, um, 55. Uh, so I'm not excited about being in the middle of a third third go around, but I'm also... <laughs> Thrilled to be doing it and glad that God still kept us uh, with some wet mud on our boots a little bit, you know? Hmm. Well, uh, Hugh, thanks for just kind of sharing a little bit with us and our audience, um, some of your background. Um, this particular episode, we are going to talk a little bit um, more on like the party aspect and gathering a community and, and the rhythms of that and the why of that. Um, as as you know, and as our listeners know, we're kind of based in the greater Seattle area. And so Portland is just a little trip down I-5. Um, I'm from Salem. So let's go Oregon. I love it. It's in my blood. Go Ducks. What um, happened? What did you guys do to our city? I mean, I left and Portland just went well, to Crapsville. What? It's because it's you left, Hugh. It's, it's all on you. No. Um, yeah, it's, it's got its issues. It uh, definitely needs Jesus, that is for sure. Um, but Hugh, can you talk to us a little bit um, about what it looks like uh, to be a people of the party, to be a people that opens your home and hosts others? Um, specifically, even though Portland has changed, it's still the, the Northwest, and you know the Northwest cu- culture, and um, you know some people refer to the Seattle, the Seattle Freeze, and some of them maybe more passive, aggressive, and different things. Can you just kind of enlighten us and share with us some of your experience of, of interacting in the Pacific Northwest culture, hosting people, partying, et cetera, and, and give some experience and, and kind of why that is important to, to us and for us? Well, as, as a, and by the way, I'm just going to shoot from the hip and Do try it. to be as honest as I can. At this point, there's no reason to pull punches, but... You know, the Portland thing, I was so grateful for those years in Portland. When we were planting that first church, only about 2% of those under the age of 30 were in a church. So it was already the world, right? I mean, it was it's probably still the most progressive, culturally, you know, forward city that um, can grow up in. So I never assumed anybody would be drawn to church, even back in, in the 80s. Um, in fact, we would do concerts in the park up by Lloyd Center and we'd have 3,000 people at our concert because our musicians were so good and one of those times we thought well just for fun let's hand out some flyers to our church service next week and see who shows up and out of about 3,000 zero of the people came 
So that, that gives you an idea of Portland, but you know, I mean, yeah. I guess that, that I was fortunate that I never expected hmm. even thinking if we'd really did church perfectly, I just never thought anybody would come. And so, hmm. and I also knew that even back then the street cred of a Christian was not high. I think right now um, the street cred of the Christian movement nationally might be as dismal as I've ever seen it. They just, people just don't like us. If it was low back then. Yeah, I mean, we don't smell right. We're, I mean, so I think our only hope, (laughs) this is what I call the secret sauce. If we're a missionary people sent by a mission God, then we have to learn to live as a missionary. There are missionary skills, we call it. Mm. And I think number one missionary skill, and it works anywhere in the world, because I've done it all over the world, from Beirut, Lebanon, to Ireland, to uh, the UK, to Australia, everywhere people hate Christians. And I found that it works uh, to be a really good person and have a great meal and great conversation. It just always works. And when that's not there, nothing works. Put it that way. So, you know, we ended up, you know, I know one of the questions we wanted to get to was related to a book we wrote called Happy Hour. I wrote that book not because I ever thought we would have to write a book on how to throw a party, but uh, so many existing churches were looking into our missionary principles. And I just found that they were so awkward, even in the training Hmm. environment. Uh, We wrote a thing called the TK Primer, which was an eight week. Uh, walk into our missionary rhythms and between week five and six we asked the people to throw a party for neighbors and people literally wouldn't do it they would they were afraid to have their christian friends relate to their non-christian friends because they knew it would go bad so Hmm. i ended up writing happy hour as a missionary training guide because i thought if we can't teach people how to just be actually enjoyable people we ain't got a shot at this thing so yeah that was kind of the backdrop to that. It's it's a walk through. Um, I guess if we want to have some theology for any of this conversation, it's a walk through Acts ten. Mm. Where prior to that, the Christian movement at that point was a racist movement. It was Jew only. Yeah. And you know the gospel back then was that you, if you follow Jesus, you can't eat bacon, and you have to have some adult men hold you down while another buddy circumcises you. Like, hey, there's some good news for you. Uh, so the story of Acts 10 becomes so important because that's when Peter, a Jewish boy, it's a dream about a tablecloth being let down and all sorts of food being on the table that he was taught not to eat. So it's just like an evangelical Christian sense, you grow up believing that your spirituality, your holiness is based on what you ate and what you didn't eat and therefore who you ate with and who you didn't eat. So you know, the story of Acts 10 is this watershed moment for the church where Jesus is telling Peter, no, I need you to get up and eat these things that you thought were no-go zones. And so all of a sudden, there's a there's like a big fat Greek wedding moment with the Roman centurion who's filled his house. And all of a sudden, the gospel begins to spread. Mm-hmm. And so Peter gets a chance to share the entire gospel story because he lets some uh, Roman guys come into he, he and Simon the Tanner's house, and then they go into the Roman centurion's house. And that's when the church became the church. That's the Acts 10 by Acts 17. Um, we now are, we have a name. We're called Christians at this place in Antioch. Mm. And Antioch was the first place where you had diverse people 
that didn't share the same color, theology, worldview, anything. All of a sudden, men and women were in the same room, people different colors, different everything, and they were together. And so they gave us, the people outside the church gave us the name Little Christ. Little Christ. Yeah. So I just have always been under the, you know, the idea that if we follow Jesus, we should follow from his model. We know that almost every great story around Jesus had something to do with a meal or food. Uh, I mean, it's just staggering uh, when you watch the great stories of Jesus, how oftentimes food and how, how often the actual the meal becomes the center of, of why people can't figure it out or why they begin to figure it out. So I just think it's like if we don't know how to relate with with unchurched people mm. in a way that um, where they look forward to having another meal with us, then again, I think, you know, like we always say, the way to the soul is through the heart. The way to the heart is through the stomach. Um, to try to get to the soul without getting through the stomach, I think, uh, is never going to work. That's when we talk to people we have no relationship with and we haven't become friends with. So I, I just think the meal is like a sacrament of what the new church should be uh, centered around. Love it. Love it, Hugh. Um, talk to us about maybe... I love that. I love that book, Happy Hour. We were actually in Kansas City maybe a year and a half ago or so. Um, and I love Brian. Brian just gave us the code to their hub. They like barely knew us. They're like, go and like take a look around because we we're like looking, you know, dreaming about what this thing, the Simple Church Collective could look like. And I love those guys. And I see a stack of those Happy Hour books. And um, I'm trying to text Brian. I'm like, Brian, can I, can I get one of these books? And I text him and he's like, not writing me back. And I'm like, dude, I'm just going to steal one. <laughs> And, and I stole on the books and on the plane back, I just like, I read the book, essentially it's a booklet and man, what are some of those biggest takeaways from that book that you've seen um, people who are not familiar with just breaking bread on the regular with people like, like those light bulb moments, like when you in that book, like what, what are some of those biggest takeaways? Well, I mean, we, we wrote the book, you know, after we share Acts 10 and try to give them a backdrop, we really go into the practicals of, yeah. you know, what makes a great party. And one of the concepts was, was called the threshold where people actually enter your, you know, we're kind of trying to deal with the insecurity, the social insecurity that people have, um, you know, recognizing to ask people to come into a church service is literally almost uh traumatic for people mm. <laughs> there's a lot of people that don't like lots large groups of people but it's also can be traumatic to enter a home as most people haven't ever experienced a real like welcoming and in middle eastern culture to allow somebody into your house means you you give them full honor full uh, you're saying to all the neighbors like we love these people um and so i always you know when we would train people we would say hey when you, people enter your house it's like really important how that goes and I shared a funny story of a guy that was in our house when I'm throwing a party and I'm out on the barbecue and uh, I can see neighbors, you know, or people coming out of their cars. And I said, Hey, Joe, can you go get the front door? And I remember watching Joe was so stressed out that I asked him to like meet these friends. And I barely know. It was a big kind of Denver Bronco party we were throwing. And he, he was hardly able to even open the door and know where to stand and how to greet them. He didn't know what to, you know, once they came in, I had to actually yell, Hey guys, come on in. Glad you met Joe. Joe was just standing there, you know, like a robot. He didn't say anything. So I feel like the, I, the um, 
sort of the skill of welcoming people. Um, that's why handing them something to drink or a little plate of, uh, you know, charcuterie, whatever it is, or just something about that's normal for them, right? They know what to do if somebody hands them something and then they just begin to relate. And uh, so that'd be, that'd be one idea. Um, you know, we, we talk a lot about preparation for a party. And we, we don't think you should actually have to prepare that much, but there is some prep. Um, you know, you got to have a clean house. Oh, yeah. People feel really weird, but you don't have to have an overly clean house. Mm-hmm. It doesn't have to be spotless homes freak people out. Really super messy homes freak people out. So uh, I did somewhere a video. In the with, somewhere yeah, in the middle. Somewhere in the middle. Have it be, you know, look, look like you expected them to be there, you know? Yeah. And uh, also kids, you know, we would talk with our kids about what's appropriate, what's not. We wanted our kids to be natural, but we didn't want them to be weird, you know? So a little time prepping the kids. Hey, here's who's coming over tonight, kids, and and telling them how it was going to go. We're all going to eat together. So hang out with us. And then after dinner, um, probably around after we give you guys dessert, the bigs are going to go out in the backyard and just kind of hang out. Uh, so if, if you want to hang out, cool. Um, but it's not going to be like crazy out there. You can't jump on the trampoline tonight. We're going to have some friends. We're just getting to know them. Uh, but you could take their kids downstairs. So we would coach our kids. Um, and then we would coach the rest of the community. We would tell everybody, the, at least the Christians, here's who's coming over Friday night. And here's a little bit of their story. And so don't be a dork. You don't need to try to talk about Jesus. <laughs> so, literally, uh, it was always a coaching thing. Um, because when you love on your neighbors and you've been loving on them for years, the last thing you want is some knucklehead yes. that goes, oh, I'm going to help Hugh reach his friends. And then they screw up two years of hard labor. Right, right, right. I, so p- different people from different kind of mind frames. My mom's a quintessential evangelist, and I tell, I tell this story. So she does things I would never do to reach people for Jesus. And she, I always say she's probably led more people to Jesus in, on the bus than a lot of pastors have from the pulpit. Now, her methodology is a little bit quirky and different. She's always got tracks on her and stuff like that. Now, I would never do that. But she always questions the way that we do ministry. It's like, you know, it's like, mom, mom, just relax. When she comes over for the holidays and we're having like our Thanksgiving big, you know, I fry a couple of turkeys and like, you know, it's like, mom, just take it easy. One step at a time, one step at a time. And then those conversations, as they come up naturally, we're trying to have those natural conversations with people um, uh, about the Lord, about where they are with Jesus or, or what they reject and that kind of thing. And so I think that that's huge, Hugh. And I think for a lot of us, we some on, on either side of the spectrum, either we're not uh, willing to cross the threshold of uh, sharing the gospel with people or overly eager to do that. And I think it's like, you know, learning timing is a big deal. And I would say, honestly, like we teach the goal of a party is not to share the gospel. The goal of the party is that they want to party again. That's your goal. Mm. Because what we found is that after a while, people become friends and they begin to share their life and the friendship out really outside the party. It'll be after you've had 30 meals with somebody, they go, Hey, are you busy Tuesday? I wanted to run something by you. And you go, yeah, let's have lunch. That's where you begin to get the gospel movement. But so, so the party is the setup. Right. It's not, it's not the pulpit. It's the setup 
uh, to share your life. And, and we also learn you never really have to go after people. If they like you and respect you and, and they like all of your friends, like they really like being with your people, they will bring their life and their sin and their story and their struggle to you. You don't actually evangelism. In other words, um, I always say is not telling somebody something they've never heard. Evangelism is changing their assumptions about what they think it is. Mm. And the party is how you change their assumptions. The, the social connection of people is what sets up the spiritual connection. Um, and so I go, man, the party is a time for you to relax and enjoy it yourself um, and hope that they just want to have another meal with you later. Love it. Mm. Love it. Um, Hugh, uh, as we're talking about this parties and it, it seems so basic, um, but for some of us, it, it isn't. I know in my experience uh, growing up within a tradition, more traditional evangelical kind of home, that was not a normal rhythm to party with um, non-believers. And at times there were like maybe peaks of, we'd do a little bit, it'd come back and we'd, you know. What are key, a couple key things you would say to, um, contextualize as much to the Northwest as you can, but to our listeners who Let's talk about weed and booze. Yeah, yeah let's yeah. talk about it. Okay. Honestly, let's talk those about are it. the biggest things that come up. Biggest things is like, I thought, time out. I thought we were supposed to not cause people to stumble. Mm-hmm. Uh, that was a lot of the thinking back. I grew up actually in a holiness movement church, Nazarene. So we didn't, we didn't get to go to the movie theaters or roller skating. Or, yeah. um, my mom and dad did sneak wine, but I knew that they were sneaking it. You know, um, but, but here's a, here's a thought on this. You know, the holiness movement. The idea was that um, our we become more holy as we get away from the world. Mm-hmm. That's just flat out not correct scripturally. Our holiness is based. So be holy as I am holy. Jesus said, our holiness should be based on being like Jesus was. So I always ask the question: If you don't have the friends. That Jesus had, maybe you're not moving towards actual holiness. Maybe it's more of a whitewash sepulcher. Mm. It's an outward, it's an outward holiness that has no real sense of holiness. So I would say, let your holiness be determined by the life of Jesus. If he did it, then take your cues from that. And we know that he did party with people. We know that he provided alcohol. We know that, you know, so here's a couple practical thoughts on this. Um, Cause like back in Denver, when let's just say we had 20 communities, we, we talked about this all the time about, and, and both Portland and Denver weed was also legal. Hmm. So if they got invited to a party, all those things are there, right? It would be, in fact, it's probably becoming even more normal that there might be some people smoking a cigar, but there might actually be one or two that actually have some type of a marijuana something. Okay. Yeah. Um, and so nor- a normal Christian will go, well, then you shouldn't be there. I go, no, you should absolutely, you should be everywhere. <laughs> mm-hmm. That's the point of being incarnational is that you're never unsafe. You don't, you never have to not do what you don't think you should do. That's like your conscience is not scarred by being with people that smoke things that you don't smoke or drinking things that you don't want to drink. So be yourself, first of all. Um, that's, that's the one thing. And what we found is that when we would coach our communities, we said, based on the mission that God's given you, the people that you hang out with that are in your street, you guys have to decide together how to best do the food and the beverages or the after beverage, right? Mm. 
Two thirds of our communities chose to be what they call dry communities, which meant they were not going to provide any of the alcohol because so many of their friends might struggle with that. Okay. But they also didn't, they, they knew that if they didn't still have parties that they still want to get movement. So the simple coaching was simply to say in the email or whatever, say, Hey, we're going to be doing uh, taco Tuesday. Uh, we're providing the, the main dish, bring a side dish and beverages of your choice. So we just let people who may not feel comfortable providing it, buying it. Um, but we still said, your house is not your house. For the Christians to go, well, it's my house and we're not going to have alcohol in my house. It's not your house. It's the Lord's house. So you may not want to drink alcohol in your house. Great. But if you, if you say to people, bring what you'd like to drink, people that are alcoholics will bring appropriate drinks. They'll all bring what's appropriate for them. And so we found that that was, that took the pressure off. Um, Christians that might've had an uncle that died in an alcohol related accident, or that was physically abusive because they were an alcoholic that still allowed them to find a balance for themselves where it was such a, an, an offense for them. Yeah. It'll never cross my lips. It still allowed them to be true to themselves, but not be judgmental or create some weird chasm for other people. Yeah. So that was how we played the alcohol. And honestly, 15 years in Denver partying hard, a lot of uh, wine and beer because microbrew, you know, same yeah. as the Portland culture. We only had one time in 15 years where we think anybody went overboard. And it was a guy at one of my parties who <laughs> did, he came in drunk and he got verbally abusive with his wife and his teenage daughter who played hockey with my daughter. And I actually had to remove him from our house and I drove him home and I slept in his room with him. He was so hammered. And then when he woke up in the morning, he's like, why are you here? I'm like, did you remember last night at all? And he said, no. And I just said, has that happened before where you don't remember? You drink so much. You, he's like, yeah, sometimes. I said, and I just told him, here's how the evening went. I told him what he said to his wife and daughter, how they spent the night at my house. And he seemed pretty broken. I said, do you want to keep living like this? And he said, no, I hope I never do this again. And uh, so that, that was an issue of his, his actually coming to the, to the Lord, his whole family. So, I, you know, even in those settings, you know, the, the way of the missionary is not that you avoid all trouble. Hmm. In fact, trouble sometimes is how God sets things up. But, um, but in most cases, people navigated alcohol really well. Same with weed. Um, you know, if there's kids around, which almost all of our parties had tons of kids. So we just became, it's, people are not going to bring weed when kids are around. So that, you know, for, for most of us, the things that we're concerned about really aren't things to be concerned about. I think we should be more concerned that we don't have a little potential mess every once in a while. Um, I, and I, I think that's the way Jesus played it as well. Man. And, and I found whenever we do throw parties, like it is just, people are looking forward to it. We throw like theme parties on our first Fridays. Um, and I think we had like a shark week one last first Friday. We had like nineties. We had a, a meme theme. Everybody came dressed as a meme, uh, all kinds of, my wife is amazing at this kind of thing. And, you know, I think it really does break open. I, we learned this thing called proxemics, right? Uh, this idea of like how people behave in social circumstances 
you know, zero to three people, three to 12 people, 12 to 20, 20 to 70, and then beyond. And then we really started to see, and we have an episode on those proxemics. You guys can go back and listen to those um, if, if you want to learn a little bit more. But we like the time to party is just time to kind of get to know people a little bit. And like you said, it's just, you know, um, getting getting um, deeper is going to happen somewhere else in another one of those proxemic spaces. Um, so, man, big ups, big ups to, to sharing that with us and our audience, because I think it's the way of Jesus. And, and, and I'm, I'm going to rephrase something you said. Partying is the way of holiness, too, because if Jesus did it, then if Jesus is our example of holiness, then when we party, we're becoming like Jesus and becoming like Jesus is, uh, you know, most of the, the great metaphors, even of the gospel, some of the great metaphors are literally of the banquet table, right? The wedding yeah. feast. Mm. The yeah. way that we live is actually to be a mirror image of heaven. So if they see us looking like they've, like we've been looking, like, honestly, I don't want to go to heaven if that's, if, if it's all you guys doing that stuff and not do, I mean, so, I mean, I think there's a real sense that we got to remember, we reflect the glory of mm. the new community and, and we're a part of the new humanity. Jesus comes into the world as light. We become children of light. So the yeah. more that we mirror, so when you see him do things, do them, you know, um, don't overthink it too. Like alcohol, whatever. Don't make an issue out of things that aren't to be issues. The kingdom of heaven is not a matter of eating and drinking, it says, right? So don't make it, don't make it an issue that you guys have alcohol. Mm. Don't go, wait, guess what? We have a no. Also, don't make it an issue that you don't do alcohol. You know, if you don't personally partner, just let the main thing be the main thing. And that's how people connect. Eventually, hopefully, the main thing becomes a story of, yeah. of Jesus and the thing. And don't think that every party has to be this big four-hour deal. You know, our son's epilepsy was killing us. We were getting an hour of sleep a night. So there, we didn't have a lot of social bandwidth, but we said we're going to eat 21 meals a week. Let's just give three, five, seven of those away a week, which means we would just try to eat with people because um, we were going to eat. And so a lot of times those are Saturday breakfasts. We'd be out, you know, doing pancakes on the grill, actually, and people walk by. And so it's a spontaneous, hey, you got, I got some extra, hand, you know, pancakes. All of a sudden they're sitting down. Um, and as they become friends, it's way more easy. You start to find that you're eating the same people maybe three times a week. And then their kids come over. And right. so, you know, we did a happy hour because we didn't want to stay. We were always exhausted by 730. So we started doing a happy hour at 4.30 because a lot of our neighbors we found were home in the late afternoon. So we would just sit on the porch and do that. So an hour and then they're out of there. And, but we've had some great touch points with people. Yeah. Eventually seven of the eight homes on our street were part of our church movement. None of them were, were church folks, but it was all because of that, that proximity issue, uh, the spon- spontaneous stuff. Yeah. But I'd say on average, Cheryl and I, sometime during the week, day nights we were having a meal with you know one night a week we'd do a meal with two or three couples and then on the weekend there'd usually be one big denver Broncos sunday party or something so we really we were still home by ourselves without being bothered by people five nights a week but probably two times a week there was a natural rhythm of eating with people in that type of a scenario it doesn't have to be overwhelming yeah, yeah. um this is completely unrelated, Hugh, but 
when the Seahawks and the Broncos played each other in the Super Bowl, who did you root for? Um, I was a Bronco fan at that point. Okay. Okay. I just want all of our Pacific Northwesterners to remember we that. Get, while we're on it, should we talk about, uh, you know, the, Russell, the quarterback in the Russell, Denver and the yeah, fact that yeah. you're stuck with, with our old quarterback that sucks? Yeah, you know, we're tanking for a reason. We're going to go get a good draft pick. And you guys, best of luck to you. You have the toughest division all of football. So you got a great team, but good luck. Um, so now I live in St. Louis, so I'm still a Denver fan because they took our football team. But that's right. Well, you could kind of claim defending champions if you want, I guess. But yeah, nobody um, does. Nobody does. <laughs> uh, kind of staying on going back to our actual topic here, and um, in the world of 2022, and you know, we're kind of on hesitate to say, but like through the better, the worst parts of the pandemic, you know. Um, how has any of that changed the way you approach uh, partying or people in the social space? Has there been any shifts uh, in your life over the last couple of years because uh, of the yeah, pandemic? I mean, for, us, for us, it's been huge because we actually, you know, we said we're going to be the living room for a whole town. So our coffee shop, we're in a town of 30,000 people. We're, we were the only daytime connection space in our whole downtown. So when COVID, uh, literally, we didn't have to throw as many parties at home because we were with people around food and drink every day, all day. Um, so when COVID hit, yeah, I mean, we felt we felt a relational drain, like we just weren't seeing people like we. And then at that point, you couldn't even have people in your house, even two of them. So, but you know, I guess if that taught us anything, it taught us that we need, you know, people have a hunger to be together right now business is booming because people just can't wait to see people again. So, mm. um, but no, I don't know if we, if we learned anything in that other than, um, you know, in fact, I, th I think one of the dilemmas with COVID is we all got used to no people being around and we kind mm. of might actually really like that. <laughs> and so now, you know, I, I talk to pastors that I train that have existing churches or missional community networks. They're having a hard time getting their people motivated again to even open up, the uh, the living room in their own house right now. So mm. I think it becomes a lethargy. Um, when you start the rhythms of partying again, you grow muscles for it again. You actually, uh, the more you sail, the more you want to sail type of thing. So yeah. I tell people, if, if you find that you just are, are just quite happy not to have people in your life anymore, um, you, you're going to have to give that one to the Lord because we've all been crucified with Christ. So it's no longer... Hugh Halter that gets to live his introverted life. You know, Christ has bought me with a price. So at some point you have to go, you know, and have a talk with your spouse and go, babe, let's at least one night a week, let's let's open up the house again. Yeah. Well, Hugh, man, thank you so much for spending this time with us, brother. Um, appreciate you. Where can people, so as we start to land the plane here, like, uh, where can people find uh, more about your work and uh, the stuff that you've put down on paper? And then how can people stay connected to you and your network? Yeah, I mean, probably related to this um, happy hour book is just on my personal website, hughhalter.com. You can order it there. Uh, we only let you order it in, in uh, sets of five because we think it's super lame if you try to right. park by yourself. So you have to find some friends <laughs> and meet you with. Um, 
And then probably Tangible Kingdom would still be a good read uh, for folks that are looking at missional community and the rhythms that we set up in our community around that. Um, and it was, it was one third of our kingdom rhythms were related to that. So that book might help you with that a little bit. That you can get anywhere, um, Amazon. So. Well, thank you, Hugh, for joining us on this episode of Keeping It Simple. We love having you and talking about parties. Uh, stay tuned in season three for another episode with Hugh coming soon. Peace. Thanks for listening to this episode of Keeping It Simple. We have more episodes coming out in the summer and in the fall of 2022. Stay tuned for season three as it comes out. Please like, review, share, and subscribe to our podcast. Thank you guys for listening. To-